Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. But he who have an ear, let him hear. what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Sad to say, certainly I'm not even insinuating that I'm the only one because I hear so rarely, but I press in so often, but I hear things so rarely. But I do know his voice. And while I was in the middle of fellowshipping and dissecting and discovering and digging, and the Lord spoke to me. It was so profound that I wrote some of it down. And it was, it was so shaking. And it started out, he said, judgment is coming to America. And so I, I, before I go any further, I'm like, God, you're saying judgment is coming, but as preachers, we're preaching all these, you know, emotional messages, making people feel good. We're still, you know, gathering by the thousands in the arena. I mean, uh, you know, like, like, you know, everything is just okie-dory. And, and then you say judgment is coming to America. And we have, we have become so desensitized that we're failing to see even the little signs. We're, we're heading toward an economic collapse because in America, money is God. And all gods must come down. And it's amazing to me how Christians are sacrificing their Christianity and their relationship with and for God for money and their pursuit of it. Uh, just the other day, uh, current events, and that's not my message on necessarily current events, but I am going to be a little bit uh, eschatological, eschatology. I'm not necessarily a major in that. I do study it a lot. I just don't speak on it much because a lot of times what we say, we really don't know what we're talking about. Nobody know when Jesus is going to come. Jesus himself don't even know. So how are we going to know? The Bible says the only person who knows when Jesus is going to come is the Father. So we're waiting on Jesus and Jesus is waiting on the Father. But he is coming. And it looks as though, it looks as though America um, is repeating history. When you look at all the world powers, it is as though history is repeating itself, and it is. 
And it would give the impression, just give me a moment, I'll give you what you came for. But you would, you would almost be inclined to think that as sinful as this nation is, that somehow God has given us an exemption. when he gave no other nation an exemption. And the things when you read history, the things that brought nations to her knees, America is engaging in those things at an all-time high. But it's a little bit deceiving, so much so that Christians are not really inspired to get on fire for God. Because, I'm not talking about coming to church. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're on fire for God. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you live right after service. But it seems as though there is no penalty for lukewarmness. I mean, the arenas are packed out. People are in jubilation as though they cannot see that just a little bit down the road, a catastrophe is on the horizon. And the church, we're almost numb, numb to the effect that we don't share Jesus with everybody we can. Most of you in this room and those of you listening to me around the world, most of you don't win anybody to Christ. Your Christianity evolves around just you and only for a few moments on Sunday morning and maybe on Wednesday. And we call that serving Christ. We call that acting like Jesus. We call that letting our light shine so that men can see. The world is in darkness because we who have been declared by God to be the light of the world, our light is dim. And for some, your light is almost out. And in this crucial moment, we're not inspired to get right with God because it looks as though no matter what we do, because we do what we want to do, that there is no penalty. And some of you are no more spiritual now than you were 10 years ago. If anything, you've backslidden. And so we come to church to hear a preacher make us happy for a few moments. And many are inclined to do so because we have so many leaders today who cannot see. And the Bible says, if the blind lead the blind. And it's not popular when you want your church to grow to preach truth. 
Because when people are wrong and bent on wrong, they don't want you telling them they're wrong. And so I'm not afraid to speak what God has placed on my heart because a few years ago I stopped counting numbers of who showed up. And that way if a whole lot show up, I don't get too happy. And if not enough show up, I don't get to the other way. Just kind of stay even till so I can obey God. But judgment is coming to America. In your study time, you read Isaiah 21, chapter 21 and chapter 22. To America, your glory is fading. Your idols will be brought down. You have made it legal to kill my babies. See what you fail to realize? Every one of those babies, they belong to God. Every one of those babies that are being aborted legally, they belong to God. Nobody have a right to kill them because they don't belong, they don't belong to the mother and the baby doesn't belong to the father. The babies belong to God. And we don't have a right to kill them. One if they to kill you. Who Jesus. So a nation has made it legally all right to kill God's babies. And we function as though there are no godly consequences. Are you all with me? In 2015, you made, when I say you, I'm talking about this nation, you made it legal to engage in something that God calls an abomination. Same-sex marriage. Now, preachers are scared to say this because those who engage in same-sex marriage will protest. But I'm not scared of your protest. I'm not care how you lobby. I don't care who you conjure up to come against me because if God be for me, it's more than any of you could come against me. But dare I be afraid to speak this truth because it's not kosher today. It's not uh, culturally fitting today. This truth of the word of God it's no longer in style. And I wondered as I was sitting there writing, as I felt impressed of God, I wondered had America crossed the line? I wonder, have we finally, or are we close to the end of God's grace? How long will God allow this nation to legally 
killed his babies. Because somebody has to come to their defense because they cannot defend themselves yet. How long can we go down this polluted road without judgment coming to this nation? And as Christians, we make plans like we're going to be here forever. You're not concerned about the coming of the Lord. You're concerned about the stock market. And you're a little nervous now because the bank folded the other day. And I don't want to, you know, put water on your fire, but that trend is going to continue because mammon will bow its knee to God. America have sold its soul for money. We are no longer a nation. If we were a nation, we would protect ourselves. And our arrogancy, we think because we're the most powerful army, military in the world, that somehow that will protect us when God attacks. What artillery will America use to turn back the hand of judgment from God? What laser beam can stop him? What nuclear head can stop him? What M-16 or Uzi can stop him? What nuclear bomb can America release that will stop the judgment of God? For everything America would use to fight, God created it. And God has not created anything that would destroy him. If he could be destroyed, he would not be God. I'm done. But I'm not sure if we're preaching the right things. And I'm not really sure if we're teaching the right things because Christians have become comfortable in their sins. And all of the prophets of old made Christians made people who said they were following God, even Jesus made sinners uncomfortable in their sins. And we come to church and feel no conviction at all because the messages are so watered down and so out of tune with addressing the issues that are at hand. And so everybody who thinks that they've said the sinner's prayer is going to heaven, and that's not true. The 
The devil can quote the Bible and he's not saved. Just because you say you love Jesus doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. And Harvest Church is no special place that if you come, it'll guard you from going to hell. Jesus said, who said it? Jesus said, you will know those who are mine. Why did he say that? Because he knew there were going to be people perpetrating. There were going to be people who said that they belonged to him. There are going to be people who try to act like they belong to him. But Jesus said, you will know those who are mine. Why? Because there are going to be a lot of folk to say that they belong to Jesus. But Jesus said, but you're going to know those who are mine. How do we know those who belong to you, Jesus, and those who are just talking? It's amazing how many people are just but Jesus said, you're going to know those. He said, don't be upset. Let the wheat and the tear gather on Sunday morning together. But a separation will come. And I will gather those who belong to me. Jesus, how do we know personally that we belong to you? He said, you'll know that you personally belong to me because you do what I tell you to do. He said, you'll know those who are mine. How will you know? He said, you'll judge it by their fruit. A pear tree doesn't produce oranges. So if I say, I'm using me because if I use you, you'll get mad. But I'm using me. And the reason I'm using me is because you don't know me. The reason I'm using me is because you don't know me. Can I work with it? And the person sitting next to you, you don't know them. You think they are like they're acting now. But you don't know me. The only way to know me, you'd have to live with me. Because you would have to observe how I act on Monday. You'd have to watch and see what I do on Tuesday and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And then watch how I act when I come to church on Sunday. And see if it matches. And if it doesn't match, then I'm a hypocrite. If it doesn't match, then I'm a hypocrite. If it doesn't match, then I'm a hypocrite because I'm only coming in here trying to make you think I'm something that I know I am not. And God already knows. And we have done it so much, it is almost as though God has approved of our lukewarmness. Yet the Bible says that you're neither hot nor cold. And God said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Why? We personally don't like anything lukewarm. You've never asked for a cup of coffee and said, make it lukewarm. Come on now. You want it so hot that when it comes, you can't even drink it. 
Come on now. You never asked for a lukewarm uh, cup of soup. You want it hot and steaming. You don't mind sitting there blowing it for 30 minutes before you can take the first spoon because you want it hot. And when you want something cold, you want it, you want it cold. Bring me a hot Coca-Cola. No, you want it cold. Well, if you're that way, God is the same. So when God tastes you, what do you taste like? Are you a hot cup of coffee? Or are you lukewarm? And because preachers who are not hearing from heaven are preaching things that are not challenging the people to get right with God, and I prophesy today that judgment is coming to America and it's important for all of us to get right with God, get right. Somebody say amen to this truth. I'm, I'm going to shock you with something. Go to Malachi. Go to Malachi. I know your Bible automatically is turned to Malachi 3. But uh, let's take a chance and go to Malachi 2. Are you there? Look at Malachi chapter 2, and, and I, I'll, I'll be finished. Somebody said finished. <laughs> but did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks, talk to me. He seeks what? He seeks what? Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. In other words, God is saying, any nation or any people who try to pervert God's original intent for a thing will come under judgment. So as you just read in Malachi 2.15, it ties in with Genesis 1.26 and 27 and 28. Because God's original intent for making man and woman was not for sex in and of itself, but that they would have godly offspring. That was God's intent in Genesis 1 and 26 and 27 and 28, that they coming together would have what? Godly offspring. It is God's intent that two believers coming together would have godly offspring, that they would raise their children up in the things of God, that they would grow to know God and to serve God. 
that is God's original intent. That man and woman, husband and wife, would produce, talk to me, not ungodly, but godly offspring. Because God wanted a bigger family. And what are we producing today? What are we producing today? Today I want to talk just briefly, if I may, on a subject that took me years to really finally get it settled in my heart. Because I did not grow up being taught the importance about words. And because I was young and impressionable, I believed my elders, meaning that if I heard an older person saying something because I was a child, I believed what they said, particularly in church, because I just assumed they knew the Bible. And so a lot of things that I walked around quoting, it wasn't me quoting it because I studied it in the Bible. I was quoting what I said, what I heard. And they would say things like, uh, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, come on, anybody from my neighborhood? Yeah, a couple of people from my neighborhood. Words, so, so they, were, they were teaching us directly and indirectly that, that words don't mean, and sometimes your parents would say, don't, don't be concerned about what people are saying about you. But what people are saying about you can destroy you if you don't say something back. Not to them, but to the word they released. I said, not to them, but you have to say something to the word they released. Because it takes a more powerful word to conquer another word. Are you, are you all listening to me? And so I grew up and was, was molded and shaped, not really valuing words. As a matter of fact, some of you, if you've been members of Harvest Church for any length of time, you can go into the community and get around people who you don't particularly think you know or you don't know. And you start talking and they say, I know what church you go to. You, you go to the harvest, don't you? And you're like, yeah, this I can tell by the way you talk. Everybody don't talk like you. Are you all listening to me? We, we have a language. And it is a language of faith. It is a language of believing the word of God. You see, because we don't teach that the Lord works in a mysterious way. We don't teach that God puts sickness and disease on you to try to sow you something. We don't teach that God, you know, takes your money because of this or that and the other. We believe that God and we teach that God is a good God. And we don't, at Harvest Church, we don't talk the symptoms or the circumstances. We, 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 we talk, uh, we talk the, the remedy. We, we talk the cure. Ooh, Jesus. Glory. So we don't magnify what we don't have. We talk about what we will have. Good God of mercy. And so, and so you sound different. I was with a pastor uh, the other day, 
to, to encourage, not the same pastor the other week, but another pastor in the city, and he texted me this morning. He said, I, he take, in the text, if I had my phone, I'd bring, he, said, he said, I'm encouraged having been with you. Well, he was encouraged because I don't know doubt. I don't entertain discouragement, and there's nothing that the God I serve can't deliver you out of. And the God I serve, no matter what it looks like, Pastor, God's going to turn that thing around and you're going to make it. And that's what I told him. And tears begin to come down his face. He said, I, 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 I can feel what you're saying. I said, I believe what I'm saying. Glory to God. I'm a man of faith. And you cannot be a man of faith if you're not a man or woman of trust. So how much do you trust God? Because wherever your trust in, your faith ends. How much do you trust God? Ooh, Jesus. Is this, this, is this good? Give me nugget number one. Let's, let's go through the nuggets. At least they can go home with a nugget or two. Jesus is coming. Mm-hmm. If you're still drinking, you better get your last one in. Mm-hmm. 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 Better get your last snort in. Because Jesus is coming. And I'm telling you, that high, there's going to be too high of a price to pay to miss Jesus. We've been in church too long to miss the boat. We've come too far. I don't care about another house, another car, nothing. I just don't want to miss Jesus when he comes. You can have all this stuff. It's going to fade away. I don't want to miss Jesus. When that trumpet sounds, I don't want to be stuck on the ground. When that trumpet sounds, I do not want to be stuck on the ground holding on to a house that the termites are eating and a car that's getting old every day or holding on to some ungodly man or some ungodly woman and miss the sound when, it tr- when the trumpet sounds. You can have all this stuff. I don't want to miss Jesus for nobody. For nobody or nothing. Without Jesus, I can go to heaven, but I can go to heaven with no money. So you can have all the money. If that means not having a right relationship with God. You can have the big house that you're killing yourself for. Nothing is more important to me than going to heaven. And if there is no heaven, then everything we're doing is in vain. If there is no God, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, then everything we're doing is in vain. And to you young folk who are so sensitized 
by this modern technology. Don't let this modern technology fool you to the point where it removes in your mind and in your heart that God is real. Because the devil is working overtime trying to convince our children that this thing about God is nothing more or less than a fairy tale. People laugh at you today when you tell them that you still believe in Jesus. You still doing that? Ooh, Jesus. You're too smart. You're too intelligent to believe that kind of foolishness. Yeah. Well, God's going to have the last say. Nugget number one, is it up there? Ready? Read. Man, that's a powerful statement. Nugget number two. Read it again, please. Your, your tongue is it's, it's an amazing weapon. You, you can literally kill somebody with your tongue. Greet somebody in the hallway and say, oh, praise the Lord, and get in the parking lot and talk about them like a dog with the same tongue. Come in church with the same tongue, sing praises, sing the praise songs, get out in the parking lot or 435 north or south and cuss like a sailor with the same tongue. With the same tongue, with your tongue, open your mouth and bless somebody. And with the same tongue, open your mouth and curse somebody. Same tongue. Your tongue is the most potent weapon in this world. You you literally walk in victory with your tongue. And you also walk in defeat. Talk to me with your tongue. Nugget number three, please. Say, say that one more time. The level of your life will be determined by the words of your mouth. You will not live any higher than your confession. And you will not go any lower than your confession. You will live on the level of which you speak. Is this good stuff? Number four, please. Words are what? Words are containers. They carry faith or fear. Nugget number five, please. Come on, let's read it together. Ready? Read. Spoken words... So this morning, you're walking in victory and prosperity and in health and in wholeness and in soundness of mind. Why? Because of what you're saying. Or you're walking in defeat and sickness and disease and discouragement all predicated on what you're saying. Listen to me. 
If you ever want to know how you speak, how you talk, listen to who you hang with. Get around your buddies that you're around all the time and don't say anything and let them talk. You'll discover how you talk. Poor people have a language and they have to talk a certain way to stay poor. Why? It's a law. It's a spiritual law you'll have. It's a law. So to stay poor, you have to talk a certain way. And you have to get around people who believe and talk the same way. Because if you're talking one way and they're talking another way, you will agitate each other. That's why you do not see rich people running with poor people. Who Jesus. That's why you don't see people hanging around Harvest Church who want to stay poor. You didn't catch that. Because if they want to stay poor, they're agitated at what I'm preaching and teaching. It's too much pressure. Because it's pressure to stay here and stay poor. Why? Because of what I'm teaching. The word of God is rich. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will produce if you allow it to marinate in your spirit. Why? Because if you stay here long enough, it will change the way you think. And once it changes the way you think, it will change the way you talk. And once you change the way you think and the way you talk, it will force you to change the way you live. And when you don't want to change, you have to run out of here. And you won't say you don't like the word of God. You'll get out in the parking lot. I don't like that preacher. I don't believe in that. Well, you don't have to believe in it. It's still true. I declare that we'll live and not die. I declare that we're the head and not the tail. I declare that we're the lender and not the borrower. You can have what you say. Come on, tell somebody, come and go with me. I'm going to the top. Come and go with me. I'm going to the top. Not the bottom, to the top. Not the bottom, to the top. And if you don't say nothing, you don't get nothing. If you don't say nothing, you don't get nothing. And some of you are too broke to not say anything. Somebody said, well, I don't believe it. Try it anyway. Good God of mercy. Mm -hmm. Now, to show you how powerful words are, do you see the atmosphere shift? 
the atmosphere shifts because of what you are saying. We can turn around and make a negative confession and the atmosphere will change the negativism. That's why if you're planning on going to the top, you've got to get around positive people. People who believe God. People who are not moved by circumstances and situations. They're only moved by what thus saith the Lord. Let, let please have a seat. What nugget were we on? Look at nugget number six. I brought some nuggets today. Look at nugget number six. Ready? Read. You cannot speak, oh, religious tradition. The Lord doesn't work in a mysterious way. It's mysterious if you don't know him. And if God didn't want you to know him, if God wanted to be mysterious, he never would have had the Bible written. You don't write a manuscript as to who you are and then want to be synonymous or incognito. You don't write about yourself and then don't want people to know you. So we don't believe at Harvest Church that God works in a mysterious way. We leave that to the other places. We believe that God works according to his word. And if I'll work his word, his word will work for me. And I somebody say, well, you were born on the wrong side of the track. I wasn't born on the wrong side of the tracks. Where I was born, I was raised in a house with no lights, no running water. I had holes in my shoes and I wore girls clothes, but I wasn't on the wrong side of the track. Because that was the side that God chose for me to be born on. And if I wasn't born on that side of the track, I wouldn't be standing here today. And I want you to know the devil is a lie. You were not born on the wrong side of the tracks. You were not born with the wrong color skin. You were not born too short or too tall. You were born exactly the way God wanted you to be. And you don't need plastic surgery to change the way God made you. Your nose is big so that you can breathe better than everybody else. Are you listening to me? Because the enemy is at work trying to make people dissatisfied with the way God made them. I'm not bleaching my skin. I don't want your products to make it lighter. All I need is to wash the dirt off and let everything else be the way it is. Because I'm exactly, somebody need to help me, I am exactly the way God wanted me to be and somebody will like you if you start liking yourself.
somebody will like you enough to want to marry you if you start liking yourself. You don't like yourself. That's why you're warding off a brother or warding off a sister. When they get in your presence, there's such a negative vibe because you don't like you. Please, please have a seat. I got another nugget. Nugget number seven. Ready? Read. Quit magnifying. Quit talking about, quit focusing on what you don't want. And talk about your desired results. If you focus on what exists, you can become depressed or oppressed or if nothing else, discouraged. But if you focus on the promise, the Bible says that Jesus endured the suffering and the scourging and the pain and the rejection and the beatings. Why? Because he saw what was ahead. For it was the joy that was set before him. I can be faithful to God today because I know if I'm faithful to him today, he has promised me a better tomorrow. He said if I serve him, that he would bless me. Can somebody say amen to this truth? Let's close with Proverbs 13. We're not closing, but it sounds good. Proverbs 13. You got to see this because there are some of you in this room, you need to stop talking the way you talk. You're in Proverbs 13. Look at verse number two, particularly the A part. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. Now, th this is amazing. I don't have time to get into all of that. But this was written by one of the wisest men that ever lived, Solomon, yes? And the amazing thing about Solomon is that he wasn't David's favorite son. And are you listening? Uh, he wasn't David's preferred son. But, but who's just going to help you, especially you young folk? Solomon was not David's preferred son, but when David was talking, Solomon listened. And became one of the wisest, richest men that ever walked, uh, walked the earth. Now, how did he become perhaps one of the richest men that ever walked on the earth. And he was not his father's preferred child, just like some of you. Even though he wasn't his daddy's favorite, he listened to every word that came out of his daddy's mouth. I'm a parent of several children. In my neighborhood, we would say, I have a buku 
I got five sons and a daughter. And one of my sons called me the other day. He was all excited and uh, uh, said, Dad, I want you to so-and-so and so-and-so. And I love this about him because he didn't call me after he had done it. He called me to get my counsel because he was considering doing it. There's a difference when a child calls you after they've done something. That means that whatever you say don't matter because they've already done it. So they're really not seeking your counsel. They're really seeking your approval. And it's difficult to approve something that you don't approve of. But this one called me before they made the decision. Say, so I need you to come check this out, Dad. So he, they, he was all excited. You know, I could tell that on the phone call. So I, you know, the next day I came, I met him at a certain place. And I, I looked. And I said some things to him. I said, no, son. You know, well, such and such and such. He said, yes, sir. I said, remember, he said, you said, yeah. He said, you know, uh, Uncle David uh, has said almost the same word you had said when I was sharing with him in, in New Orleans. I said, yeah. I said, uh, all, all the juice is gone in there. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm not talking about orange juice. <laughs> and uh, I had to catch myself because it brought such joy to me because I realized this boy was listening. And nothing brings greater joy to the heart of a parent than when you discover that somebody was listening. And, and I said, I said, no, son, I said, uh, if I were you, that's how you have to talk to them when they become grown. You have to make sure their decision is their decision. I said, son, no. I said, if, if I were you, I wouldn't use this precious thing that you have available, like playing chess. I wouldn't, I wouldn't move my king to, to, this, to this position because there's a possibility you get checkmate by your opponent. But just move one of these little pawns. Sacrifice it. He said, I got it, Dad. He said, I, I, I know what I need to do. And I walked away, drove away, so thrilled. Because like Solomon, even though he wasn't his father's first choice, that boy was listening. Are you all listening to me? And then Solomon turned around and had a son who didn't listen to what his daddy was saying. And our children suffer when they don't listen to us as their parents, particularly if they have godly parents who hear from God. I've never seen it. I've never seen it fail. When a parent tell a child, don't do that, and they do it, and they're not consequences. It's never failed. Might take a little while to show up. But it never fails. So, there's something wrong with a child in their soul when they're wanting to make a decision that their mama, who's a godly woman, when their daddy, who's a godly woman, don't get it. Ooh, God.
They're a godly woman, a godly man, godly. That means God will guard you, protect you, counsel you through them because they're godly. And they've seen a few things you haven't seen yet. Is this good? Look at verse 3 of the same, the same chapter. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips, come on, talk to me. So borderline speaking results in borderline living. I'll say it again. Borderline speaking results in borderline living. In other words, in verse 3, this person is a gossiper. A foolish talking person. Have you ever been around a gossiper? And nothing worse than a gossiping woman and a gossiping man. Just always on the phone. Boy, they got quiet on that, Jesus. I'll, I'll get off of that. I mean, just always on their phone doing something. And I know that we have this modern way of, of gossiping now. We can gossip now without really saying anything. We just, we gossip with our thumbs. But it's gossiping. I mean, it's gossiping. You're wasting your life gossiping. Haven't read a book all year, but you're gossiping. Don't even know what Genesis 1-1 says, but you're gossiping. You're talking about your covenant, and you don't even know what's in your covenant, and you're gossiping. The person you're talking to is talking about nothing, and you're talking about nothing. You've heard me say this, and I'll say it again. I pray to God nobody had to get away from me to be successful. Because I have some friends like that. And sometimes time gets in there in, in our time of communication and I, and I begin to do internal evaluation. Are they, are they, you know, distancing themselves from me? Because if they fellowship with me more than what they do, they couldn't do what they're doing. If somehow them fellowshipping with me, does this stop them from moving forward? To accomplish a big thing, do they have to cut me loose? Because if you're going somewhere, you can only go with people who are going. And I've often thought that in my own mind, evaluating myself, if there anybody's ever come to my life that they literally had to disconnect from me to be successful. Because hanging with me would cause them to waste a lot of time doing nothing but talking. I don't have a whole lot of close friends, but all of them are on the cutting edge, and it keeps me on the cutting edge. I have some friends, if I said their names, you would know it. When I get in the room with them, I feel almost like a zero. But that's a good thing, because that challenges me to go to another level. And you, if you're going to do better, you have to get around people who make you uncomfortable. You have to learn to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Did you catch that? You have to learn how to be uncomfortable being, you have to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
Because everything that the world builds is trying to intimidate you. You go to the courthouse, they got all these big old columns, big old hallway for you. Everything's to intimidate you. A big old door like the people inside are giants. And everything is to intimidate you. Like some of you felt when you first came to Harvest Church and walked in the hallway. Like, oh, Lord. What kind of church is this? That the hallways are this big. Well, the thing is, if you hang around here long enough, bigger get in you. And you'll know when big has gotten in you because you'll be uncomfortable in a matchbox. Why? Because a matchbox won't fit you no more. Why? You're too big on the inside. Are you listening to me? Now let's, go, let's, let's look at this. Uh, Proverbs 6 and 2. Proverbs chapter 6. Did we already read that? Well, well let's read it. Don't get upset. Well, these first two rows are militant. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. Let's close with this. You are snared. Come on. You are snared. Listen. Nobody can stop you. No, nobody can. Come on, tell three people. Nobody can stop you. Nobody. Nobody's powerful enough to stop you. Nobody can stop you. You see, the slave was not stopped by the master. Most of the slaves could physically whip the master. Did you see the slave? How developed they were after, you know, picking the cotton and throwing the hay? I mean, you get biceps and triceps. How can one little scrawny man with a gun that shoot two bullets control a hundred folk in the cotton field? The slave master couldn't stop the slave. The slave stopped themselves. Why? Because they believed that the slave master could stop them. And some of you are stuck today because the slave master of this system tells you that you can't have this, you can't do this, you can't buy this, you can't go over there, and so you don't go. I'm so tired of people talking about uh, the urban core. Like they're stuck in a zip code. And you're the only one stuck. Boy, I'm gonna make some folks mad now. You don't get stuck in a zip code, you follow the money. Follow the money. The inner city will change if you start following the money. What do they call it? Regentrification? Because people started following the money. And so they turned around and came back in. 
Now look down at the riverfront. Look downtown around the T-Mobile Center. Look at all that land that have confiscated that used to belong to people of color. Follow the money. Nobody's stuck but you. Boy, the politicians don't like what I'm saying here, but I'm speaking the truth. Stop protesting and follow the money. If you want to be a wise steward, follow the money. If the money go to Lee Summit, move to Lee Summit. Don't look at me like that. Everything you buy, they had it first. Everything on 42nd all the way to Grandview used to be owned by somebody else. You start following the money and they went further. Don't stop. Keep moving. Don't stop. Keep moving. So the slave master couldn't control, could stop the slave. It was more slaves than it was the slave master. That's why they had that European, uh, 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 what do you call it, voyage, where they were often Europeans that come to America. That's why you got all these Europeans in America, because America solicited Europe for the Europeans to come to America because the slaves were outnumbering the Europeans. And the way they enticed them to leave Europe to come to America, the Irish, the Scottish, the, the, the Italians, and so forth, they offered them land, free land. And two slaves. And they offered you 40 acres and a mule. So once I became convinced they were lying, I went out and bought me 40 acres. And I didn't get a mule, I bought me a tractor. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I bought me a tractor. Are you listening to me? And I have somebody plowing the 40 acres every year, and they send me a check once a year, and I take the money they give me and pay my taxes. I lease it to a man every year. He plows it and grows something on it, and he sends me a check every year for those 40 acres. I take every dime he gives me every year and pay my taxes. I take his money and pay my taxes, and the 40 acres still belong to me. And if you give me some money, I'm going to buy some more acres. Because <laughs> land is more precious than money. Because I know for the Hout family, 
If we have some land, we'll never be outside. Because if the Lord tears and something happened to my family, as long as we got a piece of land, they can go out there and put up a tent. But they will never be without a place to stay. Guru Jesus, I saw to that. The generational thing changed with me. Because when something got in my hands, I didn't act foolish with it and went out and bought mink coats. Oh, Jesus. So your words increase or decrease you. Your words create walls or doors. Your words, they are bridges or barricades. Your words, they produce life or they produce death. Your words. Let's close. Proverbs 18, 21. I'm not finishing, just stopping because I can sense you've had enough. Look at this. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Ready? Read. Don't raise your hand. How many of you believe what you just read? Read it again. Death. Okay. Don't raise your hand. How many of you believe that? I mean, you really believe it. Because if you really believe that, you wouldn't say some of the things you say over your children that you do. If you really believe, I know you read it, but if you really believe this, there's some things you wouldn't say anymore. The next time somebody call you rich, don't veto that. I had a person roll up me and say, say, you're rich. And I wanted to say, no. And then some said, be quiet. You know, if you don't say the right thing, just shut up. So, 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 no, here was my challenge. My challenge was allowing them to walk away thinking that I was. Because if they thought I was, maybe they wouldn't give me anything. So I went, and it's like some say, shut up. And thank God I listened. And they said, somebody said, and, I, and, and when I finally gathered myself, I said, they're right. Let them keep talking. May it come to pass what they're saying. I'd rather somebody say I'm rich than to say I'm poor. I'd rather somebody say that I'm healed than I'm sick. I'd rather somebody say I'm on top than I'm beneath. If you really believe this, if you did, what is it that you're saying that you would stop saying? about your life. If you really believe 
that words are containers and that you'll have what you say. Do you want the manifestation of everything you said? I don't. That's why I stopped saying some things. Boy, these kids are driving me crazy. No, no, I'm not going crazy. Do you want the manifestation of everything you're saying? Well, I feel like I'm going out of my mind. I tell you, you seem like when I pay one bill, three more come in. Seem like everybody getting ahead but me. Boy, I'm sick as a horse. I'm telling you, this kid's going to be the death of me yet. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in so much trouble. I'm in so much debt, God can't find me. <laughs> That's a lot of debt. <laughs> I agree with this. I agree with you. That's a lot of debt. Now, you're laughing, but what do you say that fits the same category? Everybody in my family gets cancer. All the men in my family, they die of a heart attack. It'll get me eventually. What are you saying? You see, see, what are you saying that you don't really want? And if you don't really want it, you shouldn't be saying it. Because you'll have. And the devil doesn't want you to believe and have the revelation of the power of words. I'm telling you, I never should have married this man. I never should have married this woman. It's been hell ever since I said I do. What are you saying? I was better off without you. I don't know what I'm going to do. What, what are you saying? It's flu season. Let me get ready because we always get sick. What, what are you saying? What are you saying? And not only what are you saying, listen to your friends how they talk. I know you go out to the harvest, and I know y'all faith people, but there are just some things, I don't care what Pastor Halper is saying, some things is just the way things are. Who said that? My Bible says that everything is subject to change but God. But God. He's the only thing that's unchanging. Are you listening to me? So what are you saying that you don't want? I don't believe I'll ever get married. You won't. Are you listening to me? And then sometimes you try to act like you don't want to get married because uh, you're trying to take the pressure off of you because all your friends are. 
So you try to get, when you get around them, you try to act like having a man is no big deal. Girl, all I need is Jesus. Sure. All that old religious stuff. You'll have what you say. And if you don't hear anything I've said today, you have to hear this. You must begin to love the way God made you. Hold, hold on for you, clap. Because I, I really want to encourage my black sisters at this point. Because there's a lot of negative things in the world that's trying to convince you that you're not desirable. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. There was somebody born in this earth at the right time that'll fit you. You don't need every man. Somebody talk about, there's man everywhere. I don't care about men being everywhere. I just want one right here. So just because they're saying that there's a man shortage, it's not a shortage for you because all you need is one. And you have to love yourself enough. You have to feel about yourself in such a positive way because you'll attract positive if you think positive. And you'll repel if you think negative. I'm not slighting anybody, but, but our sisters particularly need a, just a word of encouragement because society is trying to tell you that you're not desirable. And that's a lie from hell. And God's got a man for you. Because all you need is one. And I don't care what your age is. Talk to Mom Clayton, who caught Dad Clayton in the hallway and tied him down and said, you're going to marry me. She told Dad Clay, you heard what Pastor said, it's not good for you to be alone, and here I am. <laughs> Isn't it amazing when Jesus was on the earth, he spoke to the wind. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was walking the earth, he spoke to demons. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was walking the earth, he spoke to dead people and they heard him. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was walking the earth, he spoke to trees. I know y'all when he preached on that uh, from last Sunday when I talked about the fig leaves and the fig tree. And the fig tree was the only tree that was identified in the garden. Then we come into the, uh, the New Testament and we discover that Jesus cursed the very tree that Adam and Eve took leaves from. And he said, no one will eat from you ever again. So Jesus spoke to trees and the Bible says that the next day, the next morning, they were walking by and the disciples saw the tree and that the tree, amen, had dried up from the root. It died overnight. 
And all Jesus did was speak to it. He didn't lay his hands on it. He didn't throw oil on it. He didn't have prayer about it. He just said, die. The disciples were with Jesus on the sea and a storm rolled in and the disciples, Jesus woke him up. So the storm was raging. The wind was blowing. The boat was rocking in a reeling and water was getting in the boat and the disciples thought they were going to die. And they go to the back of the boat and wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus gets up from his sleep, stretches his arms. Ah. <laughs> Acting like he's not concerned or worried at all because he was not. He walks to the edge of the boat and he says to the wind, peace. He didn't throw oil. He didn't go into a prayer meeting. He didn't touch hands for agreement. He spoke to the wind and said, be still, and turned to the disciples and said, peace. Somebody said, he said to the winds, peace, be still. The winds didn't need peace. They just needed to be still. The disciples needed peace. And the Bible says that they marveled like what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves, no, 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 and demons, When he speak a word, come out. They have to come out. So people can be filled with demons or demon possession. And it's in America. And Jesus spoke to the demons and said, come out of the child. And the demons heard him and obeyed. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and he turns to you and I. He said, don't be so enamored over that because I'm going to give you the keys. And now that you have the keys, you have the power to bind and you have the power to loose. In other words, how do you bind? You bind with your mouth. How do you loose? You loose with your mouth. You open up your mouth and you say something. You tell the devil, take your hands off of my daughter. Take your hands off of my son. I bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus, and I cast you far away from my house. How do you do it? You do it with your mouth. Take your hands off of my money. Take your hands off of my body. Take your hands off of my mind. Take your hands off of my business. I command my business to prosper. How do you do it? You do it with your mouth. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their confession. Saints of God, people of God all around the world, you not only can have, you will have whatever you say. If there's something in your life and you know it shouldn't be there, speak to it. And command that thing to be removed. Your children are acting strange and ungodly. Speak to that spirit that's agitating your child. And command that demon to take his hand off of your grandson or your granddaughter. You have authority given to you by God. That whatever you bind, it'll be bound. The word of God says that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And if you're tired of lack, speak to it. If you're tired of sickness and disease, speak to it. If you're tired of being depressed, speak to it. If you're tired of being oppressed, speak to it. And if you're tired of not being married, speak to it. Say it again. If you're believing God for a spouse, you're tired of being by yourself, speak to it. Don't just sit there and act like nothing. Speak to it. Tell God what you want. Speak to the four winds and command the four winds to bring your husband, to bring your wife. I got things that I need to do, and I need to do it with my spouse. God has made me a helper, and I'm ready to help somebody. Good God of mercy. God has made me a helper, and I'm ready to help somebody. I'm ready to help my man go to the top. We're going to go together. Glory to God. You'll have what you say. Were you blessed today? Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, you can give God some glory. Open up your mouth and give him praise. Say this with me. I'll no longer speak. Doubt, un unbelief, I'll no longer speak defeat. But when I open my mouth, I'll speak the word of God. And the word of God will compel me and those who are around me to victory in every area of our lives. I'll no longer say, I'll no longer confess things that are not connected to my covenant. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I can have what God says I can have, and I can go where God tells me to go. Give him praise and give him glory. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.